fancy we could take phrases from our songs like that and uh, turn to the scriptures throughout the Bible and no matter when we sing we have a good Bible lesson anytime just using a song for the ideas the Bible for the text uh, it's just a good Bible study singing a song like that well we've been into John 17 it was kind of unusual how we ever got started in that because we didn't intend to start a chapter anywhere we only intended to we were really going to do the book of Jude and uh, and we started with John the Baptist and I'm somehow I'm not even sure how I got started on this in John 17 but it's so good and the new ideas that we have from studying it that we just want to share them with you and that's what this Bible study is is just sharing wonderful things that we find out about Christ with you. 17th chapter of John, verse 1, we'll read down through verse oh, 6 or 7. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Let's finish there, because it's a wonderful thought. Let's bow our heads. Father, we stand amazed that credit is given to anyone for keeping thy word. Especially us, not so much the disciples, who were men that didn't have the canon of scripture like we do, and they couldn't believe, and they didn't keep the word according to all that we read from their own writings. And yet thou hast said they have kept thy word, and we thank you for that. We thank you that the righteousness that's in thee, the obedience that thou didst perform, the way thou didst keep all the law and everything that pleased the Father is given unto us. It's imputed to us. It's on our record as being performed by thy people. How gracious, how wonderful, how unbelievable. And this morning we ask that thou will take these things of Scripture and make them real to our hearts, that the thoughts and cares and trials and tribulations of each day can be put aside just for a moment as we learn about our Lord Jesus Christ, his redemption and his love toward us. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. We've went into uh, verse 1 the last couple weeks, and we've seen that time 
even though it drags in many of our lives and in the circumstances of our lives, it also flies. As you look back to yesterday, if you had any big thing going yesterday, it's over and done. That time has come and gone. And when our Lord said the hour has come, it was something that was looked forward to for possibly millenniums and millenniums before the world was ever made. But that hour did arrive, and he voiced it so. Glorify thy son. How is the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified? By being raised from the dead. No other way could there be salvation possible for you and me except the Lord Jesus Christ rose from that grave. And he's asking the Father to do it. Now you remember, he has the power to do it himself. He's raised others. He is the creator. But now he is taking the place as our mediator, as our substitute, which is then made lower than the angels. He's doing it with circumstances that that he is uh, purposely eliminating his divine power and doing it through our nature. And that thy Son also may glorify thee will to bring glory and praise unto God the Father <clears throat> was another reason for him saying glorify thy Son. Now the second verse starts out and says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now that thing is rich and it's loaded. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. Why didn't he say over all souls? Well, we'll find out in a moment. Here is the next reason of Christ's request. Now the first reason was the glory of God. And here is the other reason, the salvation of men. He's not asking that for anything himself, really. It's for the glory of God and the salvation of men. And unless the Father glorifies him, he could not accomplish the ends of his office, which was to glorify the Father in the salvation of men. Always looking out for his people. Nothing selfish, nothing to gain privately for himself if Christ be not risen your faith is vain and you are yet in your sins I want you to turn to read that it's in 1 Corinthians 15 17 this is what we call the resurrection chapter you see a lot of people even to this day, and it was no exception in that day. People with the Adamic nature and born with a, a nature and a reasoning in their mind that did not believe in God, even though the phrases and the curses, the curses of God have always been on men's lips. But they do not believe in a God. They do not believe God exists. They do not believe that God made anything. They would rather go to the scientific world 
and uh, and make that everything started from just a little glob here and it developed into this and that and then into reptiles and you know and then fish and and then to people this long ridiculous line they call evolution men would like to believe that you know and leave god out of it but uh the resurrection is something men have always scoffed at i've heard so many people say nobody's ever come back to prove it and yet the lord jesus christ came back and we have a whole book that's preserved since his resurrection for two thousand years People celebrate their own birthdays from the date of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every event, every newspaper has it in. When they get put the date at the top of the paper, they are reminding you of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our calendar comes from. All of our events have a date on it. And yet men will not believe in the resurrection of Christ. So look at in uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians verse 14 and if christ be not risen then is our preaching in vain and your faith is vain verse 13 if there be no resurrection of the dead then is christ not risen but he says he is you have no faith he has no reason to preach if he isn't risen now if he wasn't risen how would we know our discharge from sin you would never do it where should we have gotten an advocate to appear for us in heaven or where would we have gotten a king to pour out his graces which accompany the gospel the awakening of sinners the changing of hearts and lives the bringing of people to christ the hope in him the gathering together of a congregation large and small makes no difference that sit around the Lord Jesus Christ and worship him. Where would you have that? You wouldn't have it if it wasn't a resurrection. Now next, Christ's aim, next to God's glory, was for our salvation. Now you see how it's, how it's stated here. The very first verse, he wanted to glorify the Son that he could glorify God. And the next verse has to do with the salvation of mankind. Christ's aim was at our salvation. Christ does not mention anything for his own profit, but that thy son may glorify thee and that he may give eternal life. And these two were the scope of his sufferings and of his rising again to glory. God's glory and yours and my salvation. What does he get out of it for himself? A lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. But there's more to it than that. He delighted. He delighted in God's elect from before the foundation of the world. Proverbs 8 says it is daily his delight. Can you believe that? You and me even get aggravated with each other sometimes. And yet we're daily his delight before the worlds were ever made. Those things are hard to understand, aren't they? But so is the salvation of a sinner. Why me? That's the most difficult thing to understand. Why me when you know me better than I do and I don't particularly like what I see within myself? 
Now, he suffered, and he had to. That was the scope of his sufferings. And in Romans 15.3, it says, Christ pleased not himself. And it's written there in Romans 15.3, and let's see how that scripture reads. So we like to turn the scriptures in our Bible study because this is what we call a Bible study. Not up here for me to just keep on uh, talking about a scripture and, uh, or about a particular subject and all of us sit there with our Bibles closed. This is a Bible study, meaning we're going to turn in this thing and see it for ourselves. Now this is Romans 15 and verse 3. For even Christ pleased not himself. That's what we're talking about. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Well, what does that mean? The meaning is he suffered the outrages of the wicked to promote the salvation of the elect. Or he carried the burden of our sins by which God was dishonored. They fell upon him. God was much dishonored with sin. The Lord Jesus Christ hates sin. Everything to do with the Godhead is anti-sin, against sin. Why is a human being who loves sin so much? Why is it that natures are so contrary that the more sinful a thing is, the more elated, seemingly, something inside of us gets, the more excited it gets? It's because we're anti-God by nature. We don't like his rules. We don't like the laws that he made. By nature, I'm talking about. Now, when God makes a change in our hearts and lives and makes us to abhor those things that formerly we thought were cute or we enjoyed, there's where the difference comes in. There's going to be no more sin when we're with Christ. There's no more sin in heaven. There's going to be no sin in New Jerusalem. Christ sought not sweet things for himself or pleasant things. He had no respect to his own case, but only our happiness. Now, when we strive in life to do anything, how do we operate? A family, a young person, a person with ability, you're always striving to gain something for yourself, a higher position, more money, a bigger home, a nicer home, a better car, a better bicycle, a better toy for the kids, always striving, working, and gaining for ourselves. It's not the way the Lord Jesus Christ did it. He did it for us. You say, well, I did such and such for my children. Yeah, I know, but there's an awful lot of things that we did for ourselves as we were going along giving the kids the little scraps true the Lord's made a difference in our lives now, I'm talking about generalities I'm talking about the people across the street the people next door the ones you work for the ones that run the school board the ones that run the city government the one that runs our national government so forth. those are the ones I'm talking about generally speaking I'm talking about our own hearts before the Lord touched them before the Lord made a difference in our hearts In his rising to glory, he still keeps his eyes on us. It's still for us. The resurrection is for us. 
when he went to heaven, he went there on our errand to seize upon it in our right and to prepare it for our coming. How do we know that? Well, the scripture tells us so. Turn to John 14.1. The 14th chapter of John, verse 1. We've read it not too long ago, not too many Sundays ago, maybe two. But here's what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. Well, they were were troubled. They had a feeling that he was headed for Jerusalem. He was going to get himself in trouble. He knew their hearts. He knows the hearts of every man. Now he's telling them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And that's what we just said. He rose again to prepare the place for us. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, not so much as to fix it up for himself, but it's to get us there. Look at Hebrews 9.24. Let's see what that says. Hebrews 9.24 is going to let us in on a little secret. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands. He's gone somewhere else where hands have never been, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for himself? No, it don't say that. It says for us. Can you believe the work of redemption was just for us? He didn't gain one thing by doing all the work of being our sacrifice and being the perfect lamb slain and rising again. He did it for us. You've got to understand that. Christ went to heaven that we might have a friend in court. Now, this this is familiar terms to me because I have very close relatives who are always ending up in court. They're so close, they're even in my own house court dates but it's nice to have a friend in court and here's the Lord Jesus Christ entering the judgment place the courtroom ahead of time for us our case is prepared ahead we still have the accuser of men here on earth He still accuses us to the Father. Oh, he should have seen what I saw him do the other day. He should have seen the things that heard the things that he was saying. Ah, always the accuser. He was the tempter with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why he was the tempter? Because he could not be the accuser. He never found anything in Christ. He is not the accuser of Christ. He was the tempter. And he's a defeated foe. And he's on a chain. And listen, I heard an expression, I read an expression that just delighted my heart. 
says, so if one of God's children fall and they're in Satan's lap, so what? Satan's in Christ's hand. Satan's in Christ's hand. He has them both. He only lets Satan tempt you just so far. And the Bible also says there's no temptation taking you, but that God has given you power over it to come out of it. You're allowed temptations. He gives you the power to overcome them. He's entered into the heavens to appear for us as if that were the only business that he's ever had to be there as our advocate. You know the beautiful scriptures for that? Our advocate, turn to 1 John. Turn to 1 John. 1 John's way in the back of the book, kind of after the Peters, a little bit before Revelation. Let's start with verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know that blood still has a cleansing effect. It's been cleansing people for almost 2,000 years. It cleaned up all of the sin of the Old Testament era when it was shed because their sins were not paid for. I want you to remember that. Oh, they were forgiven for a period and it was called the remission of sin, but you know they weren't paid for. And with one shedding of blood on the Lord Jesus Christ, the sins of the Old Testament saints were paid for. They were cleansed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his blood is still cleansing for sin. And as sinners cry unto him today and they come to him, that blood has the same cleansing effect it's the only cleanser. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin. People do say that, you know. Oh, I'm saved. I don't sin anymore. Something's the matter then. Because you still have a nature within you that wants to sin. And gets away with it. Even to fooling yourself. It'll say unkind things. It'll say nasty things. It'll do little things to offend others. So the scripture says if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but now oh you know you're a sinner and you know you sin what happens so if we confess our sins this is believers this book is not written to unbelievers people that never knew the Lord Jesus Christ this isn't to a stranger who you come up and say to if you confess your sins He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Well, we know that he is, but this is not the case for unrenewed sinners. I'm talking about God's people, you and me. This is what this, who this is for. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a precious scripture. You're going to say, well, I feel so unworthy I don't even feel like my heart's repenting it don't say anything about you repenting or doing one thing here it says if you will confess your sins to him he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins that's great boy that's a checkbook full of signed checks for you now look at chapter 2 my little children wonderful little phrase as old as we are and as hardened as we are 
were called little children because of faith in the Father. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Now, now don't do it purposely. Don't don't have a chip on your shoulder about against anyone. Don't don't do that. He's saying. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus Christ the righteous. Why do they put in there the righteous for? Why not just Jesus Christ the Son? It's because righteousness is the thing lacking in all people who do not have the advocate. We need the perfect lawyer, the perfect advocate, and he is righteous. He does not plead with the Father about a righteousness that nobody has performed. He pleads with the Father on the basis of his blood in a righteousness that he has himself. He says, I give it unto them. I've taken their sins and I've given them my righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. John's saying, now listen, we have a nice little bitty congregation and I know you all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been under conviction. The Lord has, has revealed yourself to you and he's revealed himself to you and we fellowship around the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our hope, and he's coming again, and we all have this same hope, and we're the only congregation in the whole world that knows this, because I'm... No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying all of those things except for every little congregation in the world that gathers around the Lord Jesus Christ. Every elect person in a prison somewhere or isolated anywhere at all, anywhere in the world... Where God's people are, he's the propitiation for their sins. That's what it means by the whole world. Not an isolated congregation like John's or, or an isolated uh, denomination where they say, well, you don't belong to our church and our group, well, then you don't have anything. John says, for all the whole world, no matter where, China, Africa. And the most, the most far-out place at this time when this was written the most ungodly place, the most unthoughtful place where there would be redemption was right here in the heart of the Americas because this was a jungle in a wilderness. This was a wilderness at the time this was written. Who'd have ever thought that down here in hot old Louisiana, down in the, the, the basement of the United States, that God would have mercy to the people and single them out from thousands and millions of others preach the gospel to them have them give them an invitation into the family bring out his own call out those elect ones that he sent here from all over I don't think there's any of us from the same place is there we come from New York Mississippi North Louisiana Maryland where have you God brings them together they worship together have a love one for another. Have a love for the gospel. Okay, let's see where we are here. Now, to show us the great love and condensation of Christ, the cross was a sad work. All the wages that Christ received out of it was the salvation of our souls. 
Now, the wages that we receive, according to the scripture, says this, the wages of sin is death. And the death that it speaks of is eternal punishment. That's a death. It isn't the fact that life ceases in this body and the body's return to the ground becomes dust and whatever the living, believing, reasoning element within us is, that just fades away and becomes nothing. That is not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that living, remembering, worshiping part of us is an immortal soul that cannot be put to death. It's separated from the body, and the separation depends upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what you've done with him. If that body goes to the grave, the soul either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. And the hell right now is a holding place. Hell is not the eternal place or abode for punishment. Revelation tells us that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the eternal abiding place of sinful people. There's still a holding place to waiting that day of judgment. Oh, you're not going to be sent to the lake of fire without a trial, without a fair hearing. But it'll be a hearing with all the facts stacked against you and you'll be speechless. Especially those who are in the religious life. Those who weren't religious and aren't elect won't have much to say, but like the first chapter of Romans tells us, they're without excuse. There's the perfect order of the sun and moon and stars, the perfect reckoning of a year of 365 and one quarter days, everything so exact that people can even be sent to the moon according to instruments of time and do the landings perfectly and come back. All that order is so perfect that man should believe in that invisible hand that made all that not practical but made all that to be accomplished but man will not believe it look at uh, Romans the first chapter turn over to uh, verse 17 we'll start with a good verse and then we'll go into verses which talk about the wrath of God verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, you see, religious people are the ones that are targeted here, that hold the truth in unrighteousness. They're going to a long, detailed study of all the unrighteousness and how they hold it in truth. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. They have a conscience. They have a mind. They can see things and they can read. For God has showed it unto them. Now look, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
What invisible things? Well, how about creation itself? How about man himself? Where did they come from? They came from nothing. God made them out of nothing. Being understood by the things that are made. Well, that maybe I jumped ahead of myself. The things that are made is the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And because they are clearly seen, we ought to understand the invisible things, the hand that made them. And it says, even his external power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse, no matter how smart they are or how absolutely ignorant they are. They don't have an excuse. We're getting close to our time. Let's see what else we have here. In the eternal covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing else in mind but the salvation of our souls. I want you to turn to Isaiah 53.10. I know you're familiar with it. I think everybody in here could quote Isaiah 53.10. We live here. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Who did it? He did it himself. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul, his soul, an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The work at Calvary, even though it was filled with grief and sorrow and suffering, it gave great pleasure to our Lord. He shall see the pleasure of the Lord, and, uh, and he shall prolong his days. He shall see his seed, and the pleasure, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In the first part of the verse, it said, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and then it's the pleasure of the Lord that did it. Listen, we're talking about the most horrible horrible suffering and death in one person that's ever taken place and in the next breath we're saying that this is the thing that gave pleasure to the Lord boy is this religion ever funny huh is this a popular religion in the world no it's not it's because the majority of people in the religious world skip over this part they gloss over it they're saying that the Lord Jesus Christ died to make it possible that man could be saved. He made it possible. Now, if, if your heart is so inclined, you can accept him. Or you can come to him at any time you want to. But if you don't so iron inclined, you don't have to. Oh, that's not the Lord I know. That's not the Lord of the Scriptures. You think he was ever disappointed in the shedding of his blood? Do you think there was ever a group or even one individual whom he had his heart set on in the eternities? 
and whom gave pleasure in the hand of the Lord when that was over, do you think that one individual could disappoint him? Is there anyone who can disappoint the Lord? No. His emotions don't run that way. His emotions run toward the elect, and not a one of them shall escape his hand. He says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and shall come is going to bring them. When he says they shall, forget. Forget the rebellious son in your family. Forget the, the wicked uncle. Forget the, the straying husband or whatever. Forget it. Because if they're one of God's elect, and you don't know it, and I don't know it, but shall come's going to go out and get them. Shall come's going to bring them to service where they're going to hear the word sometime. Shall come's going to put a Bible in their hand. Shall come is going to give them a terrible accident where they're going to have to slow down and think. It's going to give them shortness of breath that they're going to wonder if they're ever going to live. But shall come is going to bring them because our Lord Jesus Christ is the one that said it. They shall come. And once they come, oh, they're trembling, they're quivering, the tough are made weak and the weak are made weaker and the frail are made healthy and and all those wonderful things that happen when you come, but then the mind starts thinking, I, I, I'm not worthy. I, I don't know why he would save me. I'm too sinful. And then you know what he says in that same verse? I shall in no wise cast them out. You know what no wise means? There is not a chance of anyone falling out of grace. I will in no wise cast them out because I love them and shall come brought them. Isn't that wonderful? That's what that scripture means. That's exactly what it means. Now we've run out of time. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for this lesson. We thank thee for knowledge about our Lord Jesus Christ, how wonderful, how precious he is. And there isn't a one of us sitting here this morning that has heard about him that doesn't honor him and love him above all things. And we pray that those that don't know him will cry to him this day, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, I, I, I'm waiting and I'm crying. I'm begging. I need you this day. I need you tomorrow. I needed you yesterday. And thou hast sustained me to this hour. And the fact that I have breath is one of the most wonderful reasons that I know that you love me. Because you've kept me. And I'll go down to the grave calling upon thy name. Give that cry to those that don't know you this morning. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.